we ask that you would cordon off this property and drive anything away that would be uh, bringing confusion or hurt or bitterness or cloudiness to our thinking and our response to your word this morning. We ask that all of what is Jason would fall away and all of what is Jesus in this message would come forth. We ask that most of all you would be glorified this morning with our worship, with our prayers, and with our thoughts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to say, I think Richard left, didn't he? Um, Richard is going to lead next Sunday. And I just want to let you know that Natalie, uh, who led a few weeks ago, is going to join us for July and August. And we're kind of courting her, in a sense, dating her, so to speak, uh, to see if she wants to take on the role of our worship lead. So be praying for that. Um, I'm excited about it. Natalie, I think, is also excited about it. But I couldn't tell you that until this morning because I had to talk to Richard. And, you know, he's, he's just got a heart to, you know, fill in until we find that right person. So... That's a good news, right? Amen. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, but more about that as time goes on. Uh, I want to say that I, I, I am in a really weird spot right now. I'm really not sure where I want to go with the summer, with the speaking, with, with preaching. I'm re- really not sure where the Lord is leading me. But I am sure about one thing, that I need to preach to myself. And so this sermon is something, these sort of some things that I've, I've done in the past and I've thought through again and, you know, and I brought it back out again and, and really kind of dug through it. And I think I'm not by myself in where I need to speak. In other words, we have just come through a year and a half of anxiety and craziness and we continue to live in that, I think. And so we need to, we, we need to be preaching to ourselves in, in a sense, you know, preaching what what uh, Donna said was the word of God to ourselves too. too. So that's, that's where this is coming from this morning, and that's my effort going to be throughout the summer, is to uh, really preach to myself and see what God wants to do uh, through all of that. So more to come. We'll see. We'll, we'll just let the Holy Spirit guide us. Um, you know, they say if you feed and clothe an infant, but you kind of leave them on their own, um, without any emotional care, that there's a good chance that they'll die. Isn't that strange? And they, they did a study of, of survivors of 9-11, and they found out that those people that had strong emotional connections with others in their lives, in their private lives, uh, had far less signs of trauma, and they overcame uh, sort of this 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 trauma and this, the effects of, of that trauma of 9-11 much faster than, than those who re, usually refuse to allow people into their emotional lives. You know, you, you, you kind of tend to think that you're, you might be open, you might be an open person, but what I've found is that I go through cycles where I need to be open again, and I don't want to be open sometimes, right? We all feel that, right? We think, oh, we think probably more highly of ourselves in ways than we should, and then we figure out when trauma comes or something comes along in our life, you know, God just knocks us off our pedestal again. Amen to that, because we do need it. But we find out that physical touch and emotional connection in life uh, foster a sense of security and a sense of peace in the world. You know, in Genesis, God said it's not right for man to be alone, right? 
It's not right for man to be alone. And um, I don't think that that just speaks to marriage, because that was the beginning of community, right? Adam and Eve coming together, that's the beginning of families and community and people. Healthy relationships sustain us and grow people in ways we don't fully understand. By the way, happy Father's Day to all the dads. (laughs) I forgot to say that. We dads, we get the short end of the stick. We gave the women like Bibles and flowers. I got here this morning, I'm like, I didn't even get the dads anything. Maybe I'll do that next week. I was on vacation. So, anyway. Um, But... You know, these things grow us more than we, you know, can understand. Maybe that's why there are so many sort of one another verses in Scripture. If you ever want a list of those, I have a list on my computer. You know, love one another, bear with one another, all the forgive one another, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Those are important verses. So the question I have for you today, and, uh, you know, I've asked this before in past sermons, are we sad? And I don't mean sad like boo-hoo, but I mean sad as S period, A period, D period. Do we have separation anxiety disorder? Are we living in that? I think there's more anxiety than ever before in America right now. Now, that's usually... Uh, in reference to children, separation anxiety disorder, that's where you hear that term a lot. Sad, you know, and and it's marked by fear or distress if this sort of person uh, is threatened with separation from an attachment figure, you know, like like a child being separated from mom. I'm sure you moms who drop your kids downstairs at the at the children's ministry, especially when they're like one years old, they just bawl and scream and poor Belinda down there, she's like pulling her hair out, you know, trying to keep your kid happy until they get used to, they, they start to feel safe, right, down there. You know, and when it gets bad enough, when a separation anxiety disorder gets bad enough, uh, it has to be treated, right? And they usually treat it with cognitive behavioral ther- therapy, CBT, or you, possibly coupled with exposure response prevention. I looked these up. I'm not this smart. Which seeks to expose sort of it, you know, the child to that thing that brings them anxiety, the anxiety-inducing situations uh, in a controlled environment, right? to increase sort of their metacognition, all right? They find an awareness and an understanding of their own thoughts and processes in order to, uh, that they would see the truth of their situation. That it wouldn't be so big and unwieldy. And they could see it more clearly and they would adjust their thinking and in turn, their anxiety would be reduced. And so they work with the child to recognize anxious feelings and anxious behaviors and things like that. And they, they discuss the situations together and they develop a coping plan. And, uh, you know, I know my, my, my daughter-in-law does this for a living. She, co- she counsels, uh, you know, sexual trauma, kids from sexual trauma. And just to hear her talk about what she does and how she leads people through things is, is, is amazing. But, um, so they, they, they develop a coping plan, and the, and the belief is that a child's dysfunctional thoughts and dysfunctional attitudes and beliefs are what lead them to anxiety, right? The unrealistic things in their minds. And when adults get sad or get separation anxiety disorder, uh, a good counselor would lead them not only to um, not only deal with their own thoughts and, and you know, bring their thoughts more in line with reality, but they would... They would coach them on how to develop healthy, uh, a healthy network of supportive relationships in life. 
since a person is not an island, right? We're, we're not here alone. We can't survive alone. You put a person on a li- uh, an island alone, they'll go nuts after a while, right? There's the legitimate emotional need for healthy attachment and other, uh, to others that, that is actually built into us, right? Yet, us laymen, we tend to treat adults very differently, with a child, everybody sort of intuitively knows they need that emotional attachment to mom or dad. And, you know, they'll say to them, mommy's just in the next room. Mommy's just upstairs. It's okay. Be a, you're okay. You're okay. Mom will be right back. Dad will be right back. But with adults, we don't anticipate this. Or acknowledge it. And we even sort of diminish the fact that, it, that it's there, that, that adults do have and need emotional attachments. We tend to think that they should be beyond fear or, uh, or beyond distress of separation anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Needing others or emotional attachments are seen as weakness in us. You know? We don't know how to ask for what we need emotionally in a healthy way. You know, I think right now our culture just, you know, complains and, you know, screams like a, ba- like a, like a spoiled child for what they think they need. But we don't know how to do this in a healthy way. Many people, it seems, are living in sort of some sort of a state of separation anxiety disorder in relationship to each other. And definitely in relationship to God. You know, like I said, throughout this last year, we have, we have felt more alone, more separated, more unloved, more untouched and unsupported than we probably ever have been in our whole lives. Sometimes even when we're surrounded by people, we feel that way. And maybe more so in relationship to God. You know, it's not as if Peter lost faith in Jesus when he when Jesus when Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water you remember that story rather in some sense he lost faith in in who Jesus said that he was or he could be in Christ it's as if he said to Peter come on out Peter with me in me you can walk on water you can do great things but when Peter looked away looked away from Jesus, and at the sort of situation, the troubles, the chaos, the craziness around him, he did not believe what Jesus said that he could do, or maybe who Jesus said that he was. In turn, I guess that means that he wasn't believing who Jesus was in that moment. But Jesus was there, right? He was right there. Peter was safe in Christ in that moment, But although Jesus was there, Peter anticipated his not being there. Right? What am I going to do? Right? He seemed to doubt the attachment he had with with Jesus when he saw the waves and, and all the wind and all that stuff. And fear and distress arose in him and he just sank in it. Do you feel that sometimes? The anticipation from separation by a stormy sea created anxiety birthing this sinking fear in Peter. Peter was sad. Now, 
correcting our faulty thinking is helpful. It's good when feeling uh, fearful to stop, to take assessment of our situation and remind ourselves it's not as bad as it seems. Fear isn't truth. Fear is not truth. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, right? It's a famous quote. But it's not always enough just to do that, to think like that. I think many times it's a divine movement in us. So right thinking, truth, like Donna was talking about, they are important to grasp, to marinate in. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, and this is the truth, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Can you see Jesus right here? I don't see him, but he's with me. Now that is a truth that I can spout at you all day long and you may say that you believe it. And this is where I really want to go this morning. You may say you believe it, but it doesn't make a difference until you experience it to be true. Until you're touched by the Spirit of God. Until God does a work in you. So we need filling. That's what I need right now. I guarantee you that is the truth. I need Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's worth a second read. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Don't you want that right now after this crappy year in the past? All joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to experience the joy and the peace and the power of God filling me up and overflowing from me. And I, I've got to experience that, yet I also have to trust God when I don't feel it. That's the, that's the kicker, isn't it? Everybody wants to feel it all the time, and you're not going to. Doesn't mean you've lost it. Those times when I feel like a little baby, a little child, and God has walked out into the other room for a minute just to, you know, get out and go get me something or whatever. I need to be secure in my position with the Father. And Jesus establishes that security for me. We're not talking about chasing a fleeting experience, a fleeting feeling. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living in healthy expectation of interaction with God in life for His Word and His Spirit to sort of comfort me and also transform me and overflow from me. We're talking about contemplating the Word of God, marinating on it. Setting it in the forefront of our minds. The Shema is a great thing. You know, bind it to your forehead. Bind it to your arm. We're talking about applying the Word of God to our hearts and believing that God is active in our lives, in our process. Satan is not winning the battle, even though it sometimes feels like it. You know, Adam and Eve must have been frightened, right? Frightened, panicked to be stricken from the Garden of Eden, right? Separated from God. Wow, that would have been freaky. 
But remember, they chose that path. They chose that separation. They chose disobedience. They chose to drive a wedge in relationship and it birthed sin in humanity and it's all been a challenge since, to say the least. As a result of their choice, we are born with separation anxiety disorder and God's been pursuing reconciliation ever since, allowing us to feel the pain of our decisions and our choices. Their choices led to separation and anxiety and fear in reference to God and then also in reference to each other. And what we experience with God, we experience with others. Listen to that. What we experience with God, we experience with others. What, over, what fills us overflows from us. So if I'm filled with anxiety, anxiety overflows from me to you. And I feel like I've been doing that. But when we're filled with joy and peace, it overflows to others. You see, we say we believe. Oh, I believe. We say we have faith. But for some, deep down, it really just doesn't make a difference, does it? We're no more full of you know, hope and joy and peace than we ever have been. We're more marked by fear and distress and anxiety than we are with peace and joy and hope. And if we look at the worldview model, like I don't know if you've ever seen that model. It should be up on the screen soon. If we, if, if we look at the worldview model, Jesus changes us at the very core, the very center core of who we are, the worldview, how we see reality. Jesus changes us there at the worldview level. However, people usually don't allow that. They usually only start at the belief stage. They begin just with words and statements. We don't want Jesus to have our core being. But if it's popular to say, I believe, we'll do that. We'll go that far to be a part of the crowd. So we hold on to our humanistic, self-centered worldview. I'm still king of my life. But Jesus wants to dig down below that. To the heart of hearts, to the core of our being, below just words. The stage of recognition, recognition, right? You know, a restart of our thinking, Romans 12, 1 and 2. The reconnection of emotional attachment with God in relationship. So the seat of intellect, right? Our cognitive, the cognitive truth part of us, right? And, and the emotion, which we usually put our hand here to say that, right? The sense of safety and the sense of trust in relationship. He wants both mind and heart from us. That's what he wants. Maybe it's why we're referenced as children in Scripture. Not that we're childish, right? Not that we're you know, limited in our intellect or our learning and all that stuff, but that we should have the emotional attachment with God as a child would with a father. It's appropriate for Father's Day. See, Jesus wants to get at that really tender, don't touch me there stage 
that place that we hide from everybody, including ourselves. And he wants to coat that part of us with the blood of Christ and, 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 and his grace so that we can say, no matter what, in this world, in Jesus, I am okay. I am okay. That place where we're able to allow God to fill us with joy and with peace and with hope and pack it down till it's overflowing. The book of Haggai talks about this. It's wonderful because we're safe and because we're active in the relationship because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. All time and eternity circles around that cross. Everything circles around that cross. And that's where our focus has to be, on Him. But we have our part to play, right? We, we do. Romans 13 says, as you trust in Him. That's why I read it slowly earlier. As you trust in Him. Because when we're secure in relationship, we don't just say that we believe, we actually trust operating out of safety and security because of Jesus, because of His work on the cross, because of who He is. So we live and breathe and rest in the grace of God, naturally turning to God for, for filling like a baby bird, you know, waiting to be fed in its nest. Remember Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, the first of two great commandments, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Put your all into it. And you can't love what you don't trust. You cannot love what you don't trust. How do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? How do you do that? Well, love is shown through obedience. Oh, that's a terrible word. Don't tell me to be obedient. But here's the problem. Obedience is trust. We obey what we trust. If I trust, I obey. And to obey is to love. Obedience reflects trust. Trust reflects love. That's important. See, it's not legalistic for me to say that we need to obey God. We need to obey God's word. I, it's not uh, legalistic for me to say that because obedient, obedience doesn't come about for us. It, it's not there to gain acceptance. It's a, a, a result of it. Do you understand that? It's a big difference. We're obedient because we are accepted and secure. We trust Him. Even when we disagree with Him, we trust Him that He's right and that His ways are good for us. And as I trust, He fills me with joy and with peace and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? A relational dance based on the sacrifice of Jesus, circling around that cross. In Jesus, all that is wrong is righted. The wrath of God against my sin is poured out onto His Son. Jesus bore that burden so I didn't have to. By His resurrection, the power of sin and death over my life you know, are broken so I can operate in safety and security in relationship with the Father by grace through the Son, Jesus. In other words, I can walk on water 
even when dad's not in the room. A child has to choose obedience. Waiting patiently, trusting that even though they don't see dad, dad is there. See, there's always a sense of healthy fear uh, of authority when it comes to a parent, right? But a good parent doesn't abuse that authority. They actually use it to grow a child up into health and maturity, right? And as it is with God, the child can trust that parent since security is constantly and absolutely totally reinforced through loving authority. A child learns to grow into adulthood in the confines of a secure relationship of healthy, loving parents. And so in turn, it's easier for, it's not always the case, (laughs) right? But it's easy for a child to obey since they can trust. And if obedience is expressed in the, uh, is an expression of love. And they know, they realize that the direction of their parent is always the best for them. But again, usually we only say that we believe these things. We are, at best, cultural Christians sometimes. We tend to live out of our anxiety, clamoring to fill the void of life because our worldview has not been changed. We've not been changed at our core. It's what Walter White does in Breaking Bad. Great show. Probably one of the better shows ever made. But his worth is all, amen, right? His worth as a man is all tied up in his ability to provide for his family. And a lot of us guys, a lot of us fathers in here, we can really uh, relate to this, right? What the world has told him a man is to be, which is not always wrong. And his desire to find worth drives him to break bad and do things that he never would have thought he could have done before. He didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I want to be a murderous, you know, drug lord, you know, (laughs) take over the drug trade and just kill people and make boatloads of money. He didn't, that's not what he set out to do. He set out to be a good father and a good husband. But he's driven by fear and anxiety and pride, right? His identity is not rooted in a God that he can trust will provide for his family. He feels in his mind, it's all up to him to do this. There's no God in the picture. And like most of us, what's presented on the outside is not what's really going on in the inside. What's presented on the outside is not really what's going on in the inside. But in Christ, it should be and can be wholly different. In Jesus, there's security leading to transformation of our lives and a holiness, right? Making disciples, real people of integrity, exactly who they seem to be, people of joy, people of peace, people of hope. In 2 Corinthians 3, this is a great passage, 14 through 18, it says this, But their minds were made dull, For to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read, right? It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Have you ever read the Scriptures to somebody and they're like, uh? Right? There's a veil there. It's a spiritual malady. You can't convince them into the kingdom. 
The Lord has to move in their hearts. I don't get it. You will never get it. But that's the way it is. Even to this day, it says, when, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. You know, ancient Greeks made that distinction, that separation between mind and heart, right? And we've, we've clung to that into modernity. We've kept that, that difference. We always refer to them like, like this. The mind, the rational self, the heart, the seat of emotion. And they liked the rational, right? They were Greeks, right? They liked that rational, but the emotion, not so much. Jews didn't have a distinction, though, between the two. Mind and heart. Good tattoo right there. Mind and heart, right? Mind is the thinking part of the heart to them, and heart was the feeling part of the mind. An ancient idea that is reinforced, by the way, uh, by modern neuroscience. I love how Scripture is always proved correct by science. I love it. Science is not my enemy. It's my best friend. We are holistic creatures. We are holistic creatures. So the veil is over the mind heart of these non-believing Jews that Paul refers to here when they read the Scriptures. And the same would be true of us without a salvation knowledge of Jesus today. If we didn't have that moment where we found Him. Because Paul continues, he says in verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, so when you turn to Jesus, you have to turn away from something else, and you're turning away from your sin, and you're turning towards Christ, right? The veil is taken away. Now the Lord who is, is, Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No, there's not bondage. Obedience doesn't equal bondage. Obedience equals freedom. Turning to the Lord, we're free to see and to experience things that we could not before. The Spirit of God brings a new freedom to see a new reality in Christ coming to us through the filling of the Holy Spirit in power, transformed to to freedom to live in holiness. Paul finishes his argument. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces... I love that. That image, just, it's just been taken off. I can see, right? Unveiled faces contemplate. Now, that means to behold or to reflect on an image, right, in our minds. It's, it's to really focus on something, right? So we contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love that. I love that. And it's really what God said to Adam and Eve in the beginning. You don't need that, that, that fruit from that forbidden tree. I am enough to satisfy all of your needs and all desires more than you, you can ever imagine. The parameters of a safe relationship with God had already been set in the Garden of Eden. They just needed to live in obedience and to be filled. So as we trust in Him... We can be filled with joy and hope and peace. We can be transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That's what I want. That's what I want for myself and for others around me. For the world. Even adults need to know they're safe, 
they're accepted and they're secure in a relationship, that we're known and being known at the same time. We need that connection. In Christ, we have that. We already have that. And, and, and we have reconciliation with God the Father already. We're not trying to be obedient to earn anything. God's against earning. We're not, we can't earn it. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We're given grace, uh, the grace of His Word. Instead of separation anxiety, in Jesus we have healthy emotional attachment. That's what we're shooting for. And what we experience with God, we can experience with others. What we experience with God, we can experience with others. What fills us overflows from us the things of the Spirit, joy and peace and hope. We need uh, community. We need a place where people are for us. We need church. I still believe that. I will always believe that. We need church, a safe place. But the sad thing is that some of us cringe at that mention of church because of the judgment and the abuse that they perceive there. Most of the time in my experience, and I'm 54 years old, going on 55, I, I am... I I am saying that most of that judgment and abuse is perceived not real. You may disagree with me on that. That's okay. I'm right. I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. Right? No church ever sets out as its goal to hurt people. We don't. We don't. That's not in our values. In that worldview thing, you see beliefs and values. It's not in our value system. That's the reason that when we think about our community group values, one of them is to be a safe place of growth for people. It reads like this. Community groups are places of growth. Grace is experienced and extended to each member. We are invited to grow at our own pace and comfort level. Groups should be a safe place where trust is evident. Our acceptance of each other is not based on performance. And we intentionally follow Jesus together, seeking an appropriate level of challenge and risk-taking in relationship. Although our groups provide an intimate atmosphere for people on a spiritual journey, our expectations must be in proper perspective. The community group does not meet all our needs. Some will be met in in one-on-one relationships, some miraculously by the power of the Spirit, and some in larger community of faith. Now, some people read the words like that and they think, well, I got license to do whatever I want. That's not what we're saying either. Confrontation, you know, confession between one another of our sin is something also in the Scriptures. Right? Cognitive therapy is good, all right? It's, it's, it's a good thing to personally recognize our faulty thinking, adjusting uh, it to reality. But if we just <coughs> focus on changing our thinking, we disconnect, you know, we're sort of discounting and, and, and disconnecting the need for true communal emotional connection. And I mean that with God and with each other. The importance of relational connection between people, first of all, the overall mental spiritual health which it brings, but also that connection with God. It is what the way that God designed us to be in connection with Him first and each other second. 
or maybe just all at the same time, we should say. The mind and heart are one. You may feel it here physically, but it's happening up in here. Truth and experience. What we experience to be true truly changes us. What we experience to be true truly changes us. Do you experience Jesus to be true and truth? And are you allowing Him to change you? We can't be totally cerebral about our faith, nor totally emotional about our faith either, right? God seeks to sort of change us at that core level, that that center of our worldview, what we are at our core. The Father says, you know, I'm here in Christ. I'm not going anywhere. You are safe in me. And I want to fill you up to overflowing. And research shows that children who grow up in healthy, secure attachment do better in life. They do. Early experiences with mom and dad shape a child's core beliefs about themselves and their other, others around them and their life as a whole. Emotional experiences of nurture and protection are encoded in the emotional center of the brain. That is why it is so important the work that my daughter-in-law does. It's repairing the damage that some scumbag did to a kid. Over time, repeated experiences become the image of self and others and the world, right? These core beliefs become the lens through which children and later become adults view themselves and others, especially authority and attachment figures. Core beliefs serve to interpret the present and to anticipate the future. Children who experience secure attachments in the early years are apt to say this about themselves. They say, I'm good, I'm wanted, I'm worthwhile, I'm competent, and I'm lovable. They see caregivers as this, appropriately responsive to my needs, they are sensitive, they're dependable, they're caring, and they're trustworthy. And they view life by saying, my world feels safe, Life's worth living. What if the security that we had in Christ, if we actually really owned it, it made us to say, I'm good, I'm wanted, I'm worthwhile, competent, and lovable. Jesus is responsive to my needs. He's sensitive, he's dependable, he's caring, he's trustworthy, and the world feels safe, and life is worth living because of Jesus. Amen. Our secure emotional attachment to God would be the lens with which we view ourselves and also others out there around us and the whole world. And we wouldn't get so down. We wouldn't get so filled with fear and anxiety and anger and bitterness. And that worldview would enable us to trust and and, and the God of hope would fill us like a three-tiered fountain to overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So joy and peace and hope and all the things, all the gifts of the Spirit overflowing in us to family and to friends and to our neighbors and to, the, to all the nations of the world like we've been talking about in past weeks. Ending early. 
Like that? Amen. Um, I'm going to pray us out, and then I think Donna's going to come up, and or not Donna, uh, Nikki's going to come give us some announcements. Father, we thank you that you are here and you are present, even when it doesn't feel it, even when it feels like just the news is all vitriol, and we see people, you know, we, I think we had nine shootings in Philadelphia the other night, just craziness, chaos. Father, we want peace, and we want to be filled with joy and peace and hope, and we want that to overflow from us to the rest of the world around us, to each other and to our neighbors and to the world. We want to be the people of peace, the people of your kingdom, bringing your kingdom of peace into the world more and more and more. Please make us those people, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you have not known...